Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody for downloading. Uh, it has been a great couple of months here, and First Family of Waterfowl was fantastic on YouTube. If you hadn't watched that yet, it's on our YouTube channel, the Big Honker Podcast. Go check it out now, and make sure that you get subscribed. This podcast is brought to you by none other than Shin Gear. They are they started as a waiter company. They are no longer a waiter company. They are a full blown uh, whatever you Apparel. need for a waterfowl. They got bibs, jackets. They've got all sorts of good stuff. Uh, Vest, caps, hats, t-shirts, hoodies. My favorite is the bibs. I torture tested them all last season, and they stood up to everything that I threw in front of them. So. I just threw them out of my luggage. Can't wait to wear them all week. Also, remember the Shin Film Fest is going to be October 21st yep. in Memphis, Tennessee. It is not too late. You can get yourself. Uh, they got tables for sale, and then they've also got for smaller parties. You can get a seat if you need one. Got college football all day Saturday. Going to have some film fest, food, drinks, have a good time. Be lots of things to buy there, and that's at shingear.com. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. I start my morning every single day with Dirty Duck Coffee, the Missouri Boat Ride Blend. It is the way to go. And if you're looking for a little afternoon pick-me-up, they now have a cold brew out. It is the King Eider cold brew, and that is how I spend my 3.30. So I am fully caffeinated, Dirty Duck Coffee, every single day. They've also got good-looking swag. You can go to their website, dirtyduckcoffee.com. You can get coffee shipped straight to your door or whatever merchandise you get. So go check them out. Also, we're brought to you by the boys up in Missouri, the Looking Glass Podcast. Head over to Patreon, and while you're at Patreon, you can look up the Big Honker Podcast because we have uh, three things a week that we release. But anyway, back to the, the Looking Glass guys. Patreon, subscribe to their account, and you can take part in everything that they got going on. They are hilarious guys. Logan and Rebel are some of the funniest guys that we have out here all season long, so they can keep you entertained for hours and hours. Uh, we're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Best spinners on the market, best uh, blinds on the market, whatever you need. If you're a waterfowl hunter, they got something for you. We just put our order in with Lucky Duck, getting some spinners headed this way, some blinds, a little bit of flappers, maybe even a rotary. You never know. Lucky Duck has got a bunch of brand new products out there, and they are going to uh, help you be more effective out in the field. So if you're duck or goose hunting and you need some sort of gadget, Go to LuckyDuck.com. Get some stuff headed to you. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. If you are a duck hunter, you should thank Ducks Unlimited because they are putting ducks back into the sky, uh, putting your hard-earned money at work. Uh, 80 cents out of every dollar that Ducks Unlimited raise, raises goes right back into conservation. So you can rest assured that your money is not being wasted. So help wherever you can. Ducks Unlimited. Com. Also, we're brought to you by Dive Bomb Industry. It is time for you to get skinny. Uh, duh, silhouettes, the way to go. They're quick, effective. They keep your trailer nice and neat all season long. You don't have to worry about the clutter of full bodies anymore. So, silhouettes are what we use every single day out here. If you are a spec hunter, Canada hunter, they got all sorts of species. They've also got floaters out. So, whatever you need. Die Bomb can help you out. If you're that guy that's hunting a river bar, a sandbar on a river or something, and you're having to take two or three trips back and forth in the truck, get you a five dozen silhouettes, carry them in there. The, the results are going to be as good or better than what you're doing, and it's going to be a lot less work on you. Best way to go there. 
DiveBombIndustries.com. We're also brought to you by the by the boys up at Pacific Calls. PacificCustomCalls.com is how you can see what all they got going on. The B uh, the BA Lester call is my favorite Lester call. They have two new calls out. The BBS, it's a big bore speckle call, and they got the BBG, a big bore goose call. They're both great. They run f- phenomenal. So if you are a speckle belly hunter and you're looking for a new spec call, uh, you can either go with the 530, which I run, or you can go the BBS. Either way, you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, and my favorite duck call is still the PCD. So it's got my stamp of approval on it. PacificCustomCalls.com is how you get a hold of them. Also, we're brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. It is time. Uh, the War Chief is out there now. It is a buffered shotgun shell, and it is going to add 10 yards to your range. So whatever results you see at 30, you will now see at 40. The War Chief is the real deal. We have shot it. Knocks the piss out of them. So if you're a guy that needs a little bit extra range, the War Chief is the way to go. They still make a legacy product. The The original stuff that they've been making for the last five years are still producing that stuff. So uh, if you're happy with that, keep ordering that. But Once you shoot Boss, you're never going to shoot nothing else. There's no reason to. One shot and it's dead. It takes one, one, one. It only takes one. You don't have to finish them up. You don't have to shoot cripples on the water. You don't have to worry about chasing a bird down three miles away. Shoot, boss. Two and three quarter inch, three five blend. That's the way to go, right there. Uh, we're also brought to you by MLR Graphics out of Breckenridge, Texas. Michael is a great guy, good Christian man, and he makes all of our shirts out here. You can custom order anything. You can do it online. They can sell stuff. They got all the big brand names. They can custom do it for Christmas is coming. If you want uh, custom work done for Christmas, look them up, mlrgraphics.com, mlrgraphics on Instagram, and they're out of Breckenridge, Texas. Next, we're brought to you by Mossberg. The 940 Waterfowl Gun is what we shot all last season. It held up seven days a week. Rain, mud, sand, whatever we threw at in West Texas, the Waterfowl 940, it held up. So uh, don't be sleeping on the Mossbergs. You see one in the gun case, take it for a test drive. You're going to like it. Mossberg.com. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Double T British Kennels. Mr. Corey has just had a litter of puppies. So now is the time. Uh, had a couple extra puppies that he wasn't expecting. So now's the time. If you were wanting a nice British lab, contact Corey. Uh, Britlabs.com and send him an email and he can tell you what we got to do. He stood up and and stood up for those, great, uh, those kids on that Gold Star hunt. Donated two different puppies to us. Folks, man's a... a as good a guy as you're going to meet, good as gold. The man is as good as gold. He raises great dogs. He does a great job training. Check him out, please. I highly recommend Corey Dudekin at Double T British Kennels. Next, we're brought to you by Hemp Hill Farms. Listen, getting older, is it's it's rough. You get allergies, different things start to hurt and ache. Hemp Hill Farm can help you with all natural CBD products. They have a nice salve that you can uh, rub onto whatever is aching. They've also got stuff in roll-ons. they got gummies. Uh, help, help with the ouchies. Go to hemphillfarm.com, farm with a PH, and uh, they will ship anywhere. So don't, uh, don't, don't be afraid to check them out. You know, listen, getting older sucks. You start aching. Sure helps to sleep. Two gummies every night make you sleep like a baby. There you go. Hemphillfarm.com. Next, we're brought to you by Alpha Outdoor Specialties, maker of the Stanfield Stool and the brand new Blind Caddy. I'm going to run that Blind Caddy all season long. You thought my tra- my trailer was organized. Wait until you see the blind with the blind caddy. Alpha Outdoor Specialties, if you've got an idea, they are a fabri- fabrication company. They can mock up whatever idea you got. They made the Stanfield stools. 
and they're going to save backs of waterfowl hunters and A-frames all season long. So check them out, Alpha Outdoor Specialties. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Jeff, what dates we got left? I've got a few dates left in December. I don't have exact dates. I got December uh, 27, 28, 29, and 30. I can do a group. Uh, I've got a few weekdays here and there. I've got a couple of days still set aside for small groups of people. So if you've got one or two and you're wanting to hunt father or son hunts the week before Christmas, the week after, holler back at me, 940-658-3172 or stanfieldhunting.com. Thank you. God bless you and have a wonderful week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Josh Raggio of Raggio Custom Calls. Old boy's got a lot going on right now. Got a lot of cool stuff. Uh, interesting, interesting guy. He's actually, he's teamed up with Pappy, uh, the bourbon, and they are making a limited release of Pappy Calls, and they're going to be auctioned off and raffled off at uh, various Ducks Unlimited events. So, uh, really cool guy. Enjoy this episode. Here is Josh Raggio. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast, brought to you by Hemp Hill Farms. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. We made it back from Canada. I don't know how, but we did. The land of maple syrup and foreigners. Yes, it is. The only only time you meet Canadians is in small-town Canada. Yep. The rest of the country, I didn't know if I was in Pakistan, a mosque, India, China, Japan. It's tough. I'd hate to be an English teacher there. Mm -mm -mm. It's a (laughs) tough-ass gig. With us today from Raymond, Mississippi, Mr. Josh Raggio with Raggio Custom Calls. Did I fuck that up? No, nah, man. You got it right. And Raggio. I've been called I've been called everything in the book, so you really can't hurt my feelings, to be honest. <laughs> well, if I do, I don't do it on purpose, I can guarantee you. <laughs> and Ra- and Raggio Mercantile. And Raggio Mercantile. Yeah, we got a little store now. That's right. How what's that like? I mean, is that uh was that just to attract locals or is it kind of you want it to be like a destination for waterfowlers traveling or what was the thought process behind starting that up well honestly it was uh so i was in the corporate world for you know 15 16 years and then uh resigned and started doing duck calls full-time five years ago or almost six years ago and i realized pretty quick that hand turning duck calls all day every day was not going to be sustainable for the next you know, 30 years. And so I'd always had a dream of having just a really cool guy store. Um, so the mercantile is really not a hunting and fishing store. It's just more of a, just a dude store, like everything you really don't need, but won't when you walk in the door. (laughs) Um, and then my shops in the back of it. And so it it accomplished a few things. Number one, getting my shop, you know, away from home and to where I had to drive to work so I can leave work at work now. Um, you know, working from home, it was tough. I mean, it's very difficult for me to be sitting in a recliner at nine or 10 at night when I can be making money. Right. 
so it was, it was really healthy uh, for me and my family and all to, to move the shop to a different location away from home. And the space that I found was big enough to have, uh, you know, a storefront. And so instead of going probably what I, most people would think I would go would be the hunting and fishing route, I went more of the canvas leather, um, you know, just handmade knives, uh, a lot of handmade products, actually. You know, we have a really cool guy scent section, a uh, little food section. It's got things like duck fat and, uh, you know, duck fat caramels, uh, all jams and pepper jellies to, you know, um, have a $20,000, you know, chest in here that Julian and Sons makes. So you can spend $5 or you can spend 20000 and everything in between. So that was really, you know, another another source of uh, or stream of, of revenue, um, you know, because I know I physically probably can't turn duck calls forever, and uh, that realization came with, you know, needing needing a store or something else to bring in revenue. Like you mentioned, uh, kind of having a home base, I guess, uh, for the calls, also a brick and mortar, so people can come in and you know watch me work. Uh, they come in and pick their wood out, you know. Just, it's kind of a hangout. So that's a long answer for that question, but that's kind of how they, how it came to fruition. The mercantile did. Yeah. It's hard. People don't realize it. Like whenever you work for yourselves and like you're, you haven't made that line between work and home, like you're, you're at work all the time. That's right. And that's tough. I have a six and a uh, 12 year old and you know, I was basically, uh, I was basically kind of becoming a roommate with my own family. Um, and that it just, I could tell it was, was out of whack, out of balance and a change needed to be made. And, you know, this was the, the obvious change that needed to be made and the timing was right. Uh, you know, I worked at, I was working at home through COVID, so I didn't have a store, uh, didn't have to survive COVID with a brick and mortar. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at today. Yeah. Um, so tell you, you mentioned earlier uh, about the, the, the physicality of turning duck calls. Is it just an ass whipping all day long? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, so I guess I'm 10 or 11 years into this thing and I just came out with a, with a CNC line of calls last year. And you know, that, that helped a little bit, but I still have, I mean, that didn't make a two year wait list go away. And so, you know, while I'm not turning what I was, I think I was doing in the past five years, I was averaging four to 500 hand turn calls a year. Um, I think this year I've made all of about 50. Um, but that was because a lot of my time and energy was devoted to the store, getting it up and going, <clears throat> you know, getting employees, uh, trained and, and finding the right ones. Um, but yeah, man, it is, you know, you're standing all day. It's the pressure on your shoulders, your neck, your back, um, your legs, your hips, your wrist, your fingers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty taxing on your body when you stand there for 10 hours, 12 hours and, you know, even your eyes, I just had to start wearing reading glasses actually. And I think a lot of that's due to, uh, just that how close proximity you are and that focus that you have to have you know, for, for that many hours. So yeah, it's extremely taxing uh, or it is for me, you know, I'm 42. And so, you know, I'm not young, but I'm not old. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, so yeah, if, if you're having, eye, yeah, it, it can hurt. If you're having eye problems at 42, wait till you're 55. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I had LASIK when I was, uh, 
25, I think. Um, and he told me, he said, you're going to be reading glasses when, in your 40s. But I think it came a little sooner than I was expecting. I had LASIK uh, about five years ago, so maybe right when I turned 30. Best decision I've ever made yeah. out here in West Texas. Like, you know, it's sand all the time blowing, and, you know, you're up at you're up at 315, and, you know, just the, the exhaustion alone. And then you factor in uh, hunting season and contacts. I was going through just so many contacts every single hunting season. Best decision I've ever made. Like, I just wake up now and go out the door. Yeah, man. So I was the same way. I wore contacts. <clears throat> and um, I have astigmatism, so I had to take them in and out, you know, every night and put them back in every morning. And it sucks to put them in at, you know, <laughs> two in the morning. You know that. You know that yeah. feeling. Um, and then, I mean, I couldn't even take a nap in them because yeah. your eyes would dry out so bad. It was horrible. So, actually, it was a wedding gift uh, for my parents. They they kind of made me get it because they knew if they gave me the money, I'd, you know, spend it on bills or whatever. And they really wanted me to do this and i loved it so much we actually did it for my wife a year later so it was a game changer yeah i i loved it i mean it it was the best decision that i've ever made i didn't wear glasses till i was 40 years old and i i would if if i could do it now at 55 i've i've thought about it i don't even am i too old to have it done now because i'm starting to probably get cataracts uh, they told me, I don't know what they told you, Josh, but they told me like all the old age symptoms that you're going to have, like you're going to, if you need reading yeah. glasses, you're going to need reading glasses one day. So cataracts, you know, it's not going to prevent any of that. Well, I can tell you this much. Yeah. I can't read. If I take my glasses off, like the little ticker on CNN or I don't watch CNN, but like ESPN goes across. I don't watch ESPN either, but anyways, those go around. The, <laughs> I can't read the motherfuckers at all without a glasses on. I can't, it's just all blurred up shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're. It's called getting old. <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting your old. Yeah, it's just it's probably you ought to do something about it. It's that. just getting old. So I think if you get if you do get cataracts, I think they'll actually fix your vision while they're in there. So, so see there, Jeff. You can either wait a little bit longer or go ahead and do it, and then have to have the cataract surgery. Also, I hate going to an, an optometrist because I always feel like I'm lying to the lady because they'll flip it around. Like, what about is this better? Yeah, that's better out there. Then they flip it again. What about that? Ooh, that's better. Then they flip it again. No, that's not as good. And then they do. Well, earlier you told me this was the best. Well, fuck, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> Shit. You give me 87 choices <laughs> here. Tell me what you're yeah. So. I'll tell I'll admit one other thing to you. So I also got hearing aids about six months ago. And that's kind of been a game changer too. Uh, <laughs> so my wife, so I can't hear when she came. She actually came to the shop and did a hearing test. And uh I can't hear my wife and my daughter's frequency mm -hmm. and it was getting frustrating because I was having to say, huh, in literally every conversation. And so they're frustrated. I'm frustrated because I'm having to re repeat myself or ask them to repeat themselves. And so I just bit the bullet, you know, my dad waited until he was in his sixties and he couldn't hear for 30 years before that. Cause we, we have a cattle farm and we didn't have enclosed tractors growing up. So, you know, you're bailing hay, uh, bush hogging, whatever. And all that noise is just there. And it didn't obvious of shooting since we were, you know, five or six. Um, the tractor's running all the time um, uh, that we were on, shooting at five or six. You know, and when I was younger, of course, when I went to a concert or bar or whatever, I wanted to be right next to the speaker. Um, so a combination of all of that led to, uh, you know, my hearing loss and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not too prideful to, to put hearing aids in if I need them. And it also 
increase my quality of life. So here we are, reading glasses and hearing aids at forty two years old. Forty <laughs> two. I I need hearing aids. Yeah. I've 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 I have really really thought hard about the hearing aid situation because Michelle will be talking to me and if I'm not looking at her, I can't hear her. I mean, it, it sounds like the 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 teacher on the the peanuts. Won't won't won't. That's all I hear. It's just noise. <laughs> and like if I'm in the airport or if I'm talking and walking to someone, if I get ahead of them at all. They can say, listen, you fat bastard, I'd never hear the words. Never hear nothing they say. Yeah. In the wind, same with the wind noise. So it's the same way. Oh, man. It's amazing to me, though. I'm kind Stewart, of the same uh, way. Like, I can't, if there's any background noise, I have a really tough time hearing. Like, yesterday, I had to wear some cheap uh, ear, ear headphones on the, on the plane that didn't have noise cancellations. And oh, I was, man. I couldn't hear anything. Like, I, it was yeah. awful. But yeah. at the same time, I can hear a turkey gobble from. A half mile away. <laughs> That's the same with the goose. Hey, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm into, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this turkey season how they improve because you know they're set man they're rechargeable. There's no batteries anymore. You know they Bluetooth to to your phone. Um, if you can dial them up, you know. And so I'm gonna crank them up during turkey season and see how much <laughs> further I can hear them. On. <laughs> so they Bluetooth <laughs> to your phone, like just like the AirPods. Yeah, they're basically just like wearing AirPods. Yeah. Can you play music through? Yeah. You can watch a movie. Uh, yeah, while I'm tur- well, I wear these while I'm turning. But um, but yeah, anything you do on an AirPod, you can do with your hearing aids nowadays. That people can't even see them. Like they they can't. They don't even know how to wear them. One of our good friends, uh, Guggenheim, he recently got hearing aids. I guess last year, and he was talking about how hearing loss is directly linked to uh, dementia. Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm fucked. Well, <laughs> I think mine's directly related to shooting uh, speakers, concerts, and tractors, personally. But no, 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 no. Yeah, Googie's no. a good friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's you know, uh, people that have hearing loss have a higher rate of, of getting dementia. I gotcha. I'm going to go get mine. I cannot afford to lose uh, my yeah, brain. Yeah, Googie did my, uh, the two guns that we've done in the past like four or five years now. Y'all familiar with that? Have y'all seen those? Uh, I don't know if we have or not. I've seen a lot of his so, woodwork stuff. Yeah, so that gave me the idea. Um, you know, he made the the guitar. I'm sure y'all seen the guitar with the ducks. Yes. That are kind of cupped up going up the, the fretboard. And then uh, um, I think it's on the head too. Anyway, um, so I had this idea that, okay, well, if he can do it on that, he should be able to do it on a gun stock, even though it is slightly concave. It's not directly flat. So I called him, told him my idea, and he was he jumped on board as soon as I told him. He said, "Yeah, we'll figure it out." So the first year, I went and bought a fairly cheap 410 because uh, that was when the shells were starting to get better, uh, you know, as far as duck loads go. And we put, or not we, he put three uh, mallards with mother of pearl. Uh, in that stock. And so I hunted with that gun for a couple of years, shot it only. And then uh, Browning saw it and uh, Browning, uh, you know, was sent me a Satori, a really nice 20 gauge. And so the 20 gauge we did, um, we did, I don't know if you guys can see it, but I have daisies, like a compass and feathers on my, on my arm here. Yeah. And so he basically put my tattoo in the stock of that Satori. And, uh, so he done, he's done two for me so far, and it's just, it's amazing. Uh, 
he's got hours and hours and hours into that thing, cutting every little piece of, you know, mother of pearl. Um, but they're, they're show pieces uh, and I hunt with them, you know, so it, you can go back, probably scroll through Instagram and see some pictures of it. But yeah, he's amazing, man. You should hunt with that gun. That's what it's for. I, I've never, I've, I've never yeah. understood that people that have these classic guns or custom made guns or just, they spend a lot of money on a gun that they love to shoot, but then they put it in a safe. And they don't ever use it anymore. Use the damn thing. That's what it's for. That's what it's made for. It's a tool. I agree. I agree. Mine, mine is just, you know, um, mine just is a little fancier, yeah. <laughs> so, but I love it. Yeah. And people, man, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a conversation piece. Anywhere I take that gun, a lot of people have seen it, um, all, you know, through social media and stuff and want to hold it and shoot it. And, you know, just it's, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool thing that, uh, that he did for me. And, uh, you know, it's something that the, the word's kind of gotten out. So I try to take them both wherever I go, uh, if I can, uh, cause people just want to see them in person. You, you know, that's the uh, thing. Waterfowlers are so cool. You don't see that with deer hunters. I'm sure there's some deer guy that's got a custom stock on a gun and stuff, but waterfowlers are so unique compared to any other hunters when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I think we're uh, not, not everyone obviously, but a large percentage of waterfowlers are very number one uh, into the heritage of what we do. Um, So a lot of us are kind of into the old stuff, you know, old decoys, duck calls, shotguns, uh, you know, even the way we dress, you know, some of us wear solids because we feel like it makes it kind of takes us back to our grandfather, great grandfather days. Um, uh, but then they're also, I would describe as somewhat eclectic. So like when it comes to something like the stock on that gun and Googie doing that for me, and then people seeing it and, and resonating with it and appreciating it for what it is, um, it's functional art at that point. Uh, I agree with you hundred percent that, you know, it's different than most other, uh, you know, game hunting, hunting situations and hunting groups, I guess you would say. Yeah. I don't, I, I love the, uh, I love the, like your pages, the pages that you do, like that is, that is my jam. Like I love every, like all the pictures that you've taken the, from the mercantile store. Like I could sit in there all day long. <laughs> Thanks man. Yeah. I, <clears throat> you know, I grabbed the camera about 50, or about 20 years ago now, almost 20 years ago. Um, just really, uh, I bought a kit, like a Canon kit, uh, you know, body and lens. Didn't ha- didn't know what I was doing, shooting on automatic. But I really just bought it to take pictures of our hunts, mm-hmm. just to try to remember them by. And luckily, I did that because then I started to progress a little bit on editing and, um, you know, and then kind of started applying it to the duck call stuff and, you know, making it look like you know making the brand look like what you what you just uh referred to and so you know a lot of guys have to hire that out or just flat out don't have time or you know they just take cell phone pictures which it, you know it is what it is um but i was very fortunate to to have that or to i guess give myself that photography background so i could could do that in-house whenever i need to yeah i'm an old soul so you know stuff like that it really resonates with me yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I, I'm pretty. You can you can look at the first three pictures or four or six pictures probably on social and kind of tell what kind of personality I have. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, what? Tell me about how did you get started into into making these beautiful uh, handmade duck calls? 
Well, um, my dad obviously uh, was a duck hunter, and the part about the aspect of the duck hunting that he loved the most was blowing a duck call. And so my dad was the dad, and this was pre-cell phone, uh, you know, when I was in junior high and high school, your buddies would call your landline at home, and, you know, there'd be a duck call in the background. Well, at first, it was a little weird, and then it honestly just became, became second nature around my house to hear a duck call blowing. Um, he never made a call, but he was just fascinated with that, that aspect of, of waterfowling. And so he started, uh, he started blowing in the competitions and kind of getting into that world. And so I kind of followed, followed uh, his footsteps and doing that. And he directed the Mississippi State and regional contests for a long time. Uh, so, you know, I, I participated in the competition world for a while. And, but never made, made a call. And when I was in my early 30s, I guess, or around 30, a friend of mine made some calls. He, he lived fairly close to me. And that was kind of in my heyday of when I was kind of at the top of my game on the competition stuff. And he just asked me to come over and basically critique what he had made. He had made five or six. And when I walked through his garage, you know, he had his lathe there and saw and sawdust everywhere. And it really just something caught my attention. Like, man, this is this is really cool. Um, I'd never seen this before because uh, we had pretty much been blowing, you know, CNC acrylic calls in competition. So I went and I blew the calls, and they weren't great, but they weren't bad. But as I'm blowing that call, I'm thinking, wow, this my buddy just took a block of wood, and I just walked through basically a shop and saw what he just turned it into. And internally, I just thought, I've got to do this one day. Like, as a waterfowler, this could be the greatest accomplishment to me, in my mind, to make your own instrument, to go out and call ducks and at work and, you know, put them on a, put them on a stringer and take them home. And so that kind of began my journey. Uh, you know, I put it out. That was back on forum days. That was before Facebook that I was looking for used equipment, you know, a lathe, a bandsaw, drill press. And uh, a guy about 30 minutes away had it. He had tried to make turkey calls, wasn't his thing. So I met him, bought it, and honest to God, did not even know how to turn the things on. Like, had no woodworking experience whatsoever. And so from there, it was trial and error. A buddy of mine, Ryan Barrett, had made a few calls, um, and he came over, and we kind of, with what I had, kind of struggled through a, <laughs> we had a call. We, we we made a call, but it was not one that you would go hunt with, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot of information back then about how-to how stuff. Right. You know, now you can get on a Facebook page, ask somebody how to make a duck call, and hell, they'll send you a video with everything you need, and... <laughs> Or you can just go buy a tone board, I guess, these days, too, and slap your name on it become a call me. Does that annoy you? But Does you that annoy you? Uh, man, honestly, my opinion doesn't matter because the consumer doesn't care. Um, but from somebody so, that, like, you know, was self-taught and, like, cut their teeth and, and, and so much trial and error and hours, uh, man hours just, you know, basically wasted, not wasted, but spent honing your craft, and then somebody tries to take a shortcut. It annoys the piss out of me. Well, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see why it would. Uh, but, you know, teach his own. If, uh, if you can sleep at night and that's, that's how you do it and, and want to do it, it's, you know, it's, it, at that point, it's strictly a business. Like, there's no, there's no uh, 
you know, like purity to the history of the thing at that point, you know, and if that's not what you care about, if all you care about is, you know, making money, uh, you know, you buy a tone board, you know, modifying somebody else's calling whatever it is. Hey, whatever, man, if it works for you, that's awesome. You know, uh, I just went a different direction because I guess because of the meaning of it, you know, and that heritage that we talked about a little bit earlier, um, you know, Butch was, I'd, I'd leave my house at four in the morning on Saturdays. I could be at his doorstep at R&T at eight. He'd work with me for two hours on a routine. Um, and then I'd drive back home. <clears throat> uh, Greg Hood is in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Same way. Rick Dunn, same way. Um, these guys were so willing to help and they did it. You know, they started out hand making duck calls. Like, so, I mean, there was some validity to, what they had in their company and, you know, all this stuff that they did and really kind of, you know, forced a path for, for us, our, this generation of call makers. Uh, and so I really wanted, honestly, I just wanted to be respected by them. Right. Um, cause I knew them well enough. They knew my dad cause he had come up through the ranks of the call stuff. And I didn't want, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted their respect and to whatever I had to do to earn it was what I was going to do. Um, David Gaston was another one, you know, all these old call makers that some are still here, some aren't, but that had watched me grow up as a kid. And I, you know, I just, me personally, I, that's just the way I did it and wanted to do yeah. it. Yeah, I always respect the students of the game more, more so than the guys that just kind of, you know, went to, and I understand like not everybody is in a position where they have good mentors if that makes sense. So like YouTube is kind of their only way of, of learning, but you know, just guys that really get into the weeds of their craft and figure out all of the, the sophisticated nuances of whatever they're trying to accomplish. Does that make sense? Like I, I respect oh, yeah. those guys. Absolutely. More. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but again, it's, and that's an internal thing to, to really our industry. Um, like I said, the consumer could care less. And so if, if it's how you need and want to make a living, you know, just a lot of people just don't, they, they just choose to go a different route. Well, I think, I think the consumer can tell authentic versus guys that just have kind of popped up out of nowhere. Right. They can, they can uh, tell authentic, you know, authenticity to some extent. I mean, sure. There's some people that are going to get fleeced and, but guys like you that tell a really rich story, like, like, there's, there's no bullshit around you. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I would hope not, you know, but th you know, there's a lot of people and I caught a lot of breaks to get where I am, you know, back in the, when, uh, Scott Rose started duck call exchange, I happened to be one of those call makers in that first year that was, was kind of highlighted, I guess. And that put, um, that put a lot of eyes on my stuff. You know, uh, the first year Seth Fields got a hold of one of my Blackwood calls. It was his first year of competing, my first year of making duck calls, and he placed fifth in the World Live Duck in Easton, Maryland. Yeah. Uh, that same year, we had a Garden Gun article, the Made in the South Awards, and I was a finalist in that and put in a worldwide publication. So, like, there's a lot of breaks and a lot of people that helped me get to where I was, but a lot of that really happened in the first year. It was pretty amazing. And before I knew it, I went from just making, wanting to make myself and my dad and a couple of buddies a call to like, dang, like this is, this is a business now. 
So I better start thinking like it's a business and running it like a business. And, you know, thankfully the orders just have really never stopped. Right. So, but back, back to the consumer thing, you know, I, I look at the, the amount of, of uh, CNC calls that I sell versus some other guys and they're selling a whole lot more calls than me. Uh, you know, and, and some of those guys have never actually made a duck call. Right. It, it amazes. So that, that tells me the consumer doesn't care. It, the, the duck market or calling market absolutely amazes me because I would have never thought, and I've been in this business over 30 years, that people would buy duck and goose calls the way they do to just put on a shelf. And there are so many guys out yeah. there like that because every time I see it, I think, God dang, boy, guys, got a new duck call out. And then you see everybody buy one. Then the next year, they all buy new ones again. <laughs> and there's guys that are buying five, ten duck calls every single year. And it just it amazed me. And now, now it's just part of the market, and it's a collector's item, just like collecting a card <clears throat> or whatever, an antique, whatever you collect. What does a custom duck call may cost from you? Uh, they start around five fifty, um, and they just go up from there. But it's all dependent on the wood band display um you know how intricate it is you know i check her a few calls a year i really don't carve anymore i i did a few early on um they weren't you know there's some guys that are like just unbelievable artists they can draw a scene on that call and then carve it out and it looks like a, a picture i'm not that guy i would describe myself when it comes to something like that more folk art <clears throat> and i hope that's how it's appreciated in 100 or 200 years um so, you know, it, it just all depends, but, but that's where my pricing's at right now. About 550 on a starter call. What is the, uh, what's the weight line on that? If, if somebody like someone's going to listen to this right now and think, you know what, that'd make you a Christmas gift for my wife, my husband or my wife. Cause we have, we have a lot of women that listen to this. How long out are we talking yeah. on a waiting list to get on something like that? Uh, it's two years right now. And I've really, uh, so yeah, I mean Christmas of, of twenty six, maybe I could get wow. one. That that's a good problem um, to have. It's it's a good and bad because uh, the store certainly didn't help me get through those orders <laughs> at all. Uh, when you go from four hundred and fifty a year to fifty right now, uh, that actually probably put me back another year. Uh, so you know, but but the store is starting to run itself and doing well. And so I'm back in the shop a little more. I'm working on uh, our fellowship calls, which that events at the end of this month. And then I've got to finish. I don't know if y'all saw the deal in Garden and Gun, the Pappy Van Winkle yes. duck calls. Yes, we're going to get into that. Yeah, I got to finish those too. So, you know, right now the order stack is not moving because I have other obligations that, I, that I'm feeling right now. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's approximately two years. I mean, you know, that's uh, create a demand. You know what I mean? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> or you can go get a really nice CNC Razzia duck call online right now. Right now. Right now. And they do sound good. They sound really good. They're based, we, we took one of the calls that I made actually sitting here. Um, and that's what they're all based off of. And they are runners. <laughs> Uh, you can bark on them a little bit. It's not a cut down, but you can bark on them a little bit if you're a fairly advanced caller. But you can also do the soft lines, and you know it's, it's easily a really nice finishing call um, too. Was that a whole nother uh, you know ball of wax that you had to get into with the uh, with the CNC stuff, or was it fairly straightforward once you had the wood down? Pretty easy to transition. Well, 
Yeah, it's it's just making that call that you you know that you're about to replicate a whole bunch of times. So obviously you want it perfect. The call that I used, I actually made, I think in 2017, 16, 17, maybe 18. Um, it's the only call that I've ever kept mm-hmm. um, because I thought what's something about it. I don't know. When I blew it, I thought, okay, this, if I ever go a CNC route, this is probably going to be it. And it turned out to be the call that, that all the other ones are based off of right now. What is that like? Do you ever have like a selfish moment? Like when you're making this beautiful call and you know, it's running perfectly. You're like, motherfucker, this would sound, this would look <laughs> so good on my lanyard right now. Uh, I used to, uh, not anymore because, uh, <laughs> the list of, 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 uh, of bills is pretty long. So they pretty much all need to get sold right. so I can put food on the table. When the, when the waiting list Actually, is five calls, it, it's, it's a little bit more easy to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll keep this one for myself, but. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeff, you mentioned earlier, like guys buying duck calls lately. I mean, I have guys that order five and 10 uh, at a time for me. So, and I'm one of those guys, like I appreciate hand turn calls. So I, in my personal collection, I have three or 400 duck calls. Um, That's what I'm talking I mean, about. They're just, yeah, it just, they're art to me. Uh, no matter what they sound like, they're art. Somebody took the time to, you know, turn a piece of wood into a duck call. I appreciate that. So I, I have a lot out of everywhere. It's, it's an investment, and a lot of people collect stuff, and that's something you love and mm-hmm. enjoy. I'm not much of a duck caller, but I have a collection of calls that I've collected over 30 years, duck and goose calls. And every one of them means something to me, and I'll keep them forever, and I'll pass them down to my grandkids. Well, my grandkids may sell all my shit from my Indian to everything <laughs> I have, and then they. I hope yeah. I hope one of them respects and appreciates the old stuff and wants to keep it. It's kind of like old decoys, you know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not into decoys because I I don't know enough about them, and I know you can pay ten dollars, and a, the decoy could be worth a hundred thousand, and you can pay a hundred thousand, it could be worth ten. I'm just not educated enough on the decoy side of things. I love them and I appreciate them. I'm just not knowledgeable enough to collect them. I like well, old. Just not either. I've got yeah. I had one in my house. <laughs> I thought was worth maybe a lot of money. That was worth three hundred dollars. I thought. I think. But I don't care as long as they look good. If I like them and they look cool, yeah. I want them on my wall. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what means yeah. something to me. We had uh, John Dieter yeah. on. Uh, have you ever seen any of the stuff that they? It's D, uh, Guyett and Dieter. Uh, they do a big. Mm-hmm. Once a month awesome. auction type thing. Anyway, we had him on, and I think he he kind of popped Jeff's bubble about some of his decoys. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the go-to, I think. We actually have a lady uh, here in Jackson, Mississippi, that's one of the top experts also in, uh, in decoy collecting and, and the knowledge of it and appraisals and that type of stuff. But, you know, it's just... I picked one thing. It was duck calls. I just, I don't have, I can't get into that. I don't need to get into anything else that costs that much money. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have enough money to play the big time decoys, but I like stuff and I like things that mean a lot to me. Like I've got two old herders styrofoam decoys from 1972 or 73 in my office that my dad hunted over with us when me and Tony were little boys. I was eight years old and Tony wow. was six years old. And them, them two decoys right yeah. there mean more to me because I actually hunted up, hunted up with them and grew up with them. And I've got some old Victor flat bottom mallard decoys that if you threw one and hit someone, you could probably kill one, with, kill somebody with it. They're heavy, but <laughs> I hunted over yeah. them as a kid, and they always mean they mean they're special to me because of what they what they signify to me. 
And yeah, yeah. If you'll uh, let me grab this real quick. Um, <clears throat> so these are on display in my in my just in my shop up here. But this is actually what I hunt over. So um, not all the time, but when I can. So Gene Everett makes these. He's out of Peoria, Illinois, um, and this was one of the first ones. But I have about two dozen of these. I think I have uh, four cans, a couple widgeon. Um, but these are some of them are hollow bodies, uh, some of them are cork. But um, this is this is what my style is. So a working decoy. You know the artistry of the the mantle decoys is unbelievable. But this is more of my style because I feel like this is more relatable to to my call and like what I do and how I make calls than you know the really high the really fancy the really fancy ones that are probably worth a lot more money. But um, so yeah, that's kind of that's what I this is what I hunted. You know, that's what's cool about duck hunters is you can go out, you can buy you some old wooden decoys, or you can hand carve them yourself, or you can buy some new decoys that are hand carved. And you can hunt over them. You can wear flannels. You can wear some old hip boots or just some some filsons, whatever you want to do. And you can do stuff exactly. You can buy, shoot in with with boss shot shells. You can shoot your grandpa's gun. You can do the same stuff mm-hmm. that they did in nineteen twenties and thirties. And to me, that's just yep. really cool nostalgia. And duck hunters are really really unique about that. And I think that's what makes us a special breed of people. So we respect that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, what my probably I mean obviously these from Gene are, are really are prized possessions, but I was able to get one of Ira's uh decoys uh two years ago. I was up at Habitat Flats and um we we uh he has some hanging, you know, in in their lodge and stuff and and uh I said, Man, I need one of those and he said, Man, I need one of those duck calls you make. I said, Well I think we got I think we got a deal. Got a good there. trade here. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my more special. He didn't make many, and he hasn't made one in a long time. So uh, to have one of Ira's is, is really neat, too. We've had him on. I didn't even know he uh, he made any uh, decoys. Yeah, he, he doesn't talk about it. <laughs> he, he, I, I would, I've never heard it actually said. If I would have never gone to his, his place, I, I wouldn't know either. But I couldn't help but ask for one when I saw him because it's, it's just cool. Like it's something that I needed in my shop because he made it, you know? Yeah. That process for people that make it, we went to Cedar run with Corey and we, we got an upcoming show with on the road with boss and we do, a, we do a show there and we go through the processes yeah. of, of dec- a carving a decoy and the paint and everything. And it's amazing how quick a process it is for somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah, same way with duck calls. I'm sure that's yeah, true. My first duck call took 12 hours, I think. And, you know, now it's after thousands of them. It doesn't take 12 hours anymore, thankfully. <laughs> could you, uh, could you, and I've actually, how long does it take you, if you don't mind me asking? You know, it depends. It's all how difficult. It's really about the wood you pick. You know, if mm-hmm. you have a, a good solid black wood or cocobola, that's kind of, you know, that, that basic, what I call basic call. You know, a couple hours is what you'll have in it by the time you, you know, pick the wood and, you know, end with going to the post office. Right. Yeah. Where, where do you get cocoa yeah, but there's, from? Uh, I have, I have, there's various sources. Um, you know, and it's all different. The beautiful thing about cocoa is you'll get a red piece, then you'll get an orange piece, then you'll get a brown piece with red in it. 
uh, and the light does things to Coca-Cola. So my blanks right now are, are very dark. Um, the light turns Coca-Cola darker, just like it does Bodoc or Hedge. Um, but when I get into it, it'll be much lighter. It'll be an orange. But two days later, it's back to that dark, dark color. So it's a really cool wood to work with. You know, when you get into the burls, the stabilized burls, you know, you're talking about sleeving them. So the tone board is actually made from blackwood or cocobola. Uh, so that's a whole other, you know, step in the process. The burls very rarely are just solid. So you have a lot of feeling to do in, in voids and gaps and various things. Um, so they can take some time. And it's an overnight process just to get all the glue ups to, to dry. Uh, so it's a two-day process call, any burl is. Has anybody, I have never seen, and I'm sure someone's, what about mesquite wood? I've turned one, uh, and actually did well. Uh, they don't grow very big, is my understanding. Right. So to get a piece that's large enough, um, I had a, had a friend in Texas, and it was a burn pile of mesquite. He actually pulled a chunk out of it that was fairly large, like two by two. And uh, and I made a call out of it. And best I remember, like it was, it was pretty solid enough. Sounded pretty good. So I've only done one. We got some mesquite down here on the river that's probably I'm gonna bet it's four foot around. Think so? Yeah, oh, wow. it's big. There's some big ones down there. They make you can make furniture out of them. <clears throat> wow. But that's but it's you're right though, it's hard to find mesquite trees that are that big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess being on the river makes sense because they're get they're have access to a little more water, maybe. Moisture. Yeah, and they've been around forever. Yeah. Well, not yeah. forever. Well, no, because we didn't have mesquite <laughs> trees here 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Well, whenever the cattle drives from well, Mexico but came. In my lifetime, there was not near the mesquite trees that there are now, not even close. There was very, They were very unusual. Right. I mean, it just they grew up in it, this big canopy. I think that's what's helped the deer population in Texas more than anything is the mesquite forests that are, have popped up over the years. Is it a hardwood? What kind of, like, what is, what's the texture of, of mesquite? I don't really, honestly, that was probably 2015. Oh, I don't. Long time ago. Yeah, it wasn't. I didn't turn it in the last few weeks or anything. Right. But, I mean, I, from what I remember, I think it was pretty hard, but I, heck, I, I could be wrong. It should be pretty tight grain just because, uh, I don't know. I, it, I'm pretty sure it was, it was, it was hard. Dense. You know, yeah. oak, is, oak is hard, but it's super porous, so it doesn't work for us. You know, density is really what we need. So let's get into it now. So, so you've got a pappy call that you're making right now. How did, where did this all come from? Uh, kind of out of the blue. Um, Ed James is, is Julian Van Winkle's son-in-law. Well, one of them. Um, Julian has, has three daughters. And he had the idea of doing this project of turning uh, pappy barrel staves into calls and then He's also a woodworker, so he was going to make the display boxes, and then Julian was going to donate uh, the bourbon. And uh, I, I think through there's a guy named Barry Bales. Barry uh, lives in I think he lives in Nashville, duck hunter, but he played in Allison Krause's band and some others. So extremely talented musician. And I've kind of connected with that country music world in Nashville to a degree. And somehow we, we've never met, but 
it's kind of like everybody should say, hey, do you know Barry? And I think maybe to him, they're like, hey, have you heard this Raggio guy? And so we started following each other. Well, he and Ed are, are buddies. And Ed James went to Barry and said, who, you know, I think they, he tried to turn one. It didn't work. He said, who, who do we go to for this? And Barry threw my name out. And so Ed flew down um, to the store, brought some. Uh, he actually asked, you know, laminated the staves to make them large enough that I could turn. And we hung out for, you know, a day and a half. I turned a call out of it. And uh, he he was, uh, yes, we shared, kind of had some new ideas um, for the whole project. And when he left, he was fired up and, you know, went back. He, you know, needed and wanted to get uh, Julian Van Winkle's approval because uh, his attention to detail, um, well, there's a reason why Pappy is where it is right now. Um, and, and it's Julian Van Winkle. When he took over the company in 81, you couldn't give bourbon away. You know, and right. now a bottle of 23 is five to $10,000 if you could find one. <laughs> and so he gave the okay. And from there, the project just started building with ideas. And, uh, you know, we finally kind of got it hammered out. We decided that this was, you know, a big enough deal that we could involve a charity um, or non-for-profit with it. And, uh, Ed has a close tie to uh, Ducks Unlimited, and so this year it's it's Ducks Unlimited. So we pulled our cost out of it, and all the rest all the, the rest of the money that will be raised will go to DU. And so they're hosting a dinner November the 9th. Uh, I, I don't know how they sold tickets if it was invitation only or, or whatever, but they've already raised you know more than six or six figures just in admission to the to the dinner. And that's where they'll auction off the calls. And one through three comes with a bottle of 23. I think number two comes with a bottle of 20. And number three comes with a bottle of 15. And then four through 10, there's 10 of them. Four through 10 uh, come with Beretta Silver Pigeons that they've engraved the Pappy logo in the stock uh, on those four through 10 calls. <clears throat> and then my friend Rick Simmons in Texas, he's a hand engraver. And so um, we got him involved. He actually hand engraves Pappy on the, the bands of the calls with some scrolling, and then it's one of 10, two of 10, so on. Um, so all the engraving you see is done by hand also on, on each call. And they're not dated because this year's calls are named Pappy. Next year's calls will be named something else. So the year is designated by the, the name of the call from that year. So this is going to be a multi-year deal. Uh, as of right now, yes. Right. So people, if if, if people uh, people can start saving up now to get into these auctions. Um, I I believe I don't I don't know if it's going to be open to the public. Also, uh, I heard four through ten were going to be sold via raffles, raffle tickets. One through three were going to be auctioned off. I'm honestly still waiting on a little bit of clarification on that. Right. Um, but yeah, they're, they're expecting the number one to go for, you know, a, a whole lot of money. Um, I'm betting I can't wait to see. Oh, I would. Yeah. I mean, hundred grand. Uh, I haven't heard that half thrown out, you know, 50, uh, is, is a number that I've heard. Uh, but you know, it just depends who, I don't know who's going to be there. Um, my guess is it's probably a lot of their highest donors. Uh, it's a pretty special event. Uh, and it depends on who wants it 
the, the worst. You know, you get the right guys <laughs> in a bidding war that that uh, that really don't have a stopping point, and you know, it, it could get it could get wild. I'm excited for it. Yeah, money's not an option to someone that's got a lot of it. So, <clears throat> hundred grand yeah. is no a hundred dollars to them is ten dollars to me. So if they spend a hundred grand to put in their case, say that I have this and you don't, it's pretty cool. If I had a lot, of, if I'd have won that lottery the other day, I'd have paid a hundred thousand for it. <laughs> I'd have bought all three of them. <laughs> the corner of the market. I would. I would have. Bought, I'm telling you right now, I would have bought. I'd be that asshole. Who's that asshole in the back of the room that's bought all three of those? That'd be me. Uh, we sure would have let you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, so the goal is obviously to give back with this deal. Uh, we already have some charities, you know, in kind of in mind for next year and, and future years, depending on how long we keep doing this. Um, you know, and obviously this is not the first, uh, you know, duck call turned out of a barrel stave. However, it is the first pappy one. And, you know, the first involvement with the actual, you know, owner, founder uh, of the company, their family, um, and kind of the whole collaboration of it and how it's being done so we're you know we're pretty proud of it it's i've made calls for a lot of very 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 famous people i've had the the fortunate to be able to go to a lot of places that just i would have never dreamed of going but this one is probably you know it's it's at the top as far as just coolness factor um you know for for them to select me just the i mean it, it was a huge compliment very humbling to be able to do this with Ed and I mean, Julian Van Winkle. I mean, it's just, right. I can't believe, I believe I say that, you know? So now here's my dumb question of, of <clears throat> well, my first dumb question that I know about how do, how do you get, cause the barrel staves, they're not very thick, right? Like they're Correct. only a, a, an inch or so thick, maybe an inch yeah. and a half. So how mm -hmm. do you get a call out of that? Uh, I'll show you real quick. All right. So this is uh, one of the barrel staves or blanks. So the black line yep. going through it, can you yep. guys see that? So obviously this is a stave and this is a stave. Uh, you know, bourbon barrels are charred on the yep. inside. And so that's the char line. So they put them together like this. So now it's an inch and a half. So this is turnable now. Got it. So, so they so, mash it all, to, somehow mash it all together. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's, they're just laminated together. Um, right there it ed does that because i do round stuff not square <laughs> stuff so he uh he handles that now that makes more sense because like when i first heard about this i was like well how <clears throat> the, well fuck is this even possible <laughs> yeah actually i have the number one barrel right here i think let's see so i have to clean this copper off but so there's your char mm -hmm. line and you probably can't see because of the light, but it says Pappy there. Yep. This is number yep. one. So this is this is number one. So we'll see. We'll see how it does. Now, have it, it, in all of this, have you gotten to uh, have any expensive Pappy? Uh, there's a bottle of 23 sitting over Ooh. there. Goes good with Coca-Cola. Fuck, <laughs> uh, Jeff. <laughs> That was for picture purposes. I don't know if I get to keep it or not. But, ah, uh, just take it off the top. You know what? <laughs> Drain that some bitch. Put a hole in the middle of it. Put some wax on the bottom of it. Fill it up with some some other kind. And the person that gets it down the road will be like, "This tastes a little different." 
not what I was expecting. Well, I did not expect well, it to taste like rich and rare. I don't. Uh, I don't drink anymore, so there's really no temptation. Believe it or not, there's, no. I'm not. A, I don't drink bourbon anyways much. I wouldn't know the difference between rich and rare and Pappy Twenty Three. I bet you would. I, yeah, I, I, you I don't know that would. I would. That's blasphemous. No. I've never had a sip of 23. I think I've had it to maybe 18. Um, yeah, and it's 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 not Crown Royal or Maker's Mark, that's for sure. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine that that you make something and it's worth that kind of money, a bottle of it? That just The bourbon deal just blows my mind that some old guys used to make bourbon just to get by with rock gut whiskey because the water was terrible to drink in most places. That has turned into this huge following that we have. We were in when we were in Canada just yesterday. I was in the airport in Calgary. All the single barrel whiskeys that are up in Canada that are locals, just like they have everywhere. It's crazy the amount of whiskeys that are out there nowadays. Yeah, there are a lot yeah. of bad livers yeah. in the United States right now. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, they no doubt around the world. Yes, COVID was hard on people. We're we're still recovering. And, uh, that's true. That's true. Me and uh, me and Jeff couldn't hear anybody because they had masks on. And then there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bad livers going around. I've seen that uh, like kids in the developmental age of like 18 months to two years, they're way behind on their developmental processes with regarding language. Like they said, uh, there's one um, speech pathologist in like Florida. Like her business has blown up like 700 percent. Since COVID. Because wow. the kids listen to everybody through a mask? No, because uh, when kids are learning how to speak, they read lips. Yeah, because the mask. That's what I'm saying. The right, mask right, right. Yeah. So kids didn't have that benefit of reading the lips. So, like, there's a lot of kids. And I guess it would be younger than 18 months. But, yeah, right around that right around that developmental age, they... The scary thing is, are there a bunch of short bus riders that wore a fucking mask at their house, around their families, just their immediate families, and they all sat around with masks on all night long. And you know it happened. Yeah. Just stupid. Well, it's like seeing somebody in their car by themselves with a mask on. I just, I can't quite grasp that thought process. I saw it a month ago in Wichita Falls, Texas, the lady driving down the road. And I thought, you fucking moron. What are you doing? You're by yourself. You afraid of yourself? Maybe she was an Uber driver, Jeff. No, she had a placard on that said United Regional Health. She worked for the hospital there. But, fuck, take your mask off driving down the road at least. But she's by herself wearing a mask. And I thought, what a dumbass. I mean, that's all I could think of. <laughs> Matter of fact, I didn't see nobody hardly at all okay. with a mask in Canada. And on the airlines, I saw maybe two people wearing a mask on all the airplanes. We took 87 fucking flights the last four days. <clears throat> but there was not a lot of mask wearing going on. <clears throat> yeah. No, I flew, I flew um, a few times uh, over the past month or so, and I, I really didn't see hardly any. No, I even they even had a radio uh, in Vermont in uh, Calgary, and they were talking about masks, and they said at a hospital's coming out there and get your fucking you know your eighty seventh booster shot and shit. But on there it says masks are not required. If you feel comfortable wearing them, wear them, but you're not required. And that really surprised me for the Canadian government to tell people that. And that was on a an, an, a PDA on the radio. Not a PDA, really? PSA. Yeah, PDA's kissing, PSA's talking. How's y'all? Uh, how's y'all do it? Smoked there? them. Did you talk about it? Yeah, we or? did very. Yeah, we really? did really good. Uh, hunted three days, and we ki- we had five hunts over three days, and we killed over three hundred birds. It was snow geese and ducks, but yeah. I'm a Texas boy, 
So the thought of snow goose hunting going all the way to Canada to snow goose hunt because my my experience snow goose hunting is not very good. And when they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna snow goose hunt and duck hunt," I was like, "Oh God, this." Yeah. I'm going 1,500 miles to snow goose to chase fucking sky carp. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was insane. Like to put it to put it mildly, and we got to we got to shoot the new boss war chief. That shit yeah. is wicked. Boss was already good. That war chief is a different level. I mean, it is an entirely different animal. Some of the birds that we were shooting at, I mean. I'm still blown away. And I'm not a very good shot. So the fact that I can knock birds down at, at a good range while they're flying away, that's something. I'm an above average. Were you shooting 12s? I shot 12s. Jeff shot 28. I shot 28s. And let me tell you something. I'm an above average shot, and it ought to be illegal for me to get to shoot that shit at ducks and geese. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, just pillow making left and right. Poof, poof, poof. You sure are stroking your own That's ego. That's awesome, man. Did I shoot good, Andy? Yeah. You shot fairly well. Fairly well. <laughs> fairly well. Above it, average. Above everybody else's average in our group? No. Jeff, did you see the shot that I made? Andy made one shot. It was an amazing shot for but me. It was It was amazing how good the War Chief is, though. It, it's crazy. It just su- is such a good shot. And the th- what made it really good is, and, th- and this is what people need to think about, is the death factor. You're not having cripples. You're you're killing birds. You're not birds flying off eight and ten miles. And or, or let's be realistic here. You're not seeing birds a thousand yards away falling out of the sky or winging it down in the brush somewhere. They're going to be wolf bait or something up there. It was actually killing birds. In, and we picked up most of our birds right in the decoys. I mean, you shoot them and they fall right there. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. That that was the thing about when I shot the four ten for those few years uh, hunting mainly timber. Is like, and I was shooting extra full chokes, so it's like shooting. You might as well shoot the thing rifle right. at them. It was either kill or right. miss. There was there wasn't a whole lot of crippling going on, um, and that was because of the shells. You know, uh, Aaron's got me some of those war chiefs coming um, this week, I think. So I'm looking forward to to shooting them as well. Yeah, they're they're the real deal. They did a good job on it, and I mean, it it's wicked though. But I'm I'm like you though I I I shoot a pretty tight pattern so I'm either completely missing or it's getting everything. Yeah, yeah. I you know I don't shoot a lot um, as far as shotguns go, like off season. But I took a job as the uh, Mississippi College is a private school here in uh, Central Mississippi. I'm coaching the sporting uh, clays team mm-hmm. now, and so I'm shooting a, a lot more. Um, than I had been. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how that translates to, you know, hunting, hunting this year, right. duck hunting, goose hunting, all that. Yeah. You, you were saying before we started here that you're doing what's it, it's, uh, uh, the workouts that you're doing, what's it called? <clears throat> oh, it's called the tactical yes, games training. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we get up every morning and we, well, I shoot competition handguns, uh, every Sunday afternoon. And I found this thing on YouTube one day called the Tactical Games. And basically, and I used to do a little bit of CrossFit. And so if you take CrossFit and competition handguns and you do this, that's the Tactical mm-hmm. Games. And it's actually a long gun with it too. So a two two three um, long gun in the real games. Uh, so we'll, I write the workouts, uh, you know, the night before. And we do them. It's a lot of sandbag work. 
you know, 50 to 100 pound sandbags, a lot of carries, farmers carries, um, some Olympic lifts, a lot of running. Uh, in the games, females wear 12 pound vest, men wear 15 pound vest. Um, I wear a 35 just to train oh, in. So the goal is, yeah, to wear, yeah. The goal is really <clears throat> from the shooting side, obviously, is to be able to shoot accurately with your heart rate through the roof and your grip and everything just totally fatigued. And, um, you know, and then also, cause I hate to work out. I absolutely <laughs> despise it. So this is the only way I can do it is like to have a reward at the end of the reward is to go shoot. So it gives you like this 30 second break mentally and physically from the workout. So you shoot, then you go back and you do it again. And then you go shoot, go back, do it again. So the workouts last about 45 minutes in there. Like this morning was pretty brutal. Um, a lot of days it's just straight strength work with shooting. And some days it's pretty much all cardio. I like that because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I've never done CrossFit. We don't have a whole lot of, we don't have any gyms <coughs> out here in the boondocks. So like my workouts just consist of uh, a lot of body weight type stuff and pull-ups and shit like that. But that would be that. I think that would be something I could get my head around. It sounds fun. Yeah, you would, you would enjoy it. So uh, you know, there's not really anybody that uh, obviously there's CrossFit everywhere, but there's, there's not really anybody that does this because you there's a lot that goes into this, right? So you got to have number one a gun mm-hmm. range. The safety aspect of it, you really need what they call range officers watching everybody shoot <clears throat> safely, making sure everything's unloaded, loaded the right time, um, and then you have the fitness aspect of it, obviously. So you don't want people getting hurt. So you need somebody knowledgeable on form and uh, you know that thing. So there's a lot going on. I guess is my point. Yeah. Um, for for just one workout. What about uh, CrossFit? Did you ever get any injuries? Because that that's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts, and if you if your form goes to shit, then that's when injuries kind of pop up. You know, I didn't really get not an injury per se, but I had um, I played baseball in college, and in practice one day I played shortstop, and there's the fly ball behind third is kind of the shortstop's area yeah. right there. And I dove, and the tip of my glove caught the ground like this, and it popped all this out of place. And I started, when I started doing CrossFit, that that came mm-hmm. back, like that that hurt. Um, and what it was, it was golfer's elbow. So tennis elbow is on the outside, mm-hmm. golfer's elbow is on the inside. So, so that's surgery you can really do for it. I was getting cortisone shots, but it was a lot of, like, I can't do pull-ups like this. Right. I have to do them like yeah. this. Um, so I just had to tweak a few things, but that was really the only thing that that happened, I guess, injury wise. Would that be similar to Tommy John? Because isn't Tommy John the the inside ligament? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so on my throwing arm in college, so I was supposed to have that nerve pulled up to here. Um, that I just didn't do it. So actually, I have kind of issues with both oh. elbows. Which it t- I was doing CrossFit to get myself stronger to turn calls all day. And ended up hurting, you know, having issues with both elbows. Kept me awake. Yeah, <laughs> I was three. I was three percent body fat, but I couldn't hardly hold my turn until no shit. Three percent yeah, body I was, fat. I, was, I got down to like one hundred and fifty pounds. It was it was too how much. Tall, I couldn't how eat tall enough. are you? Six. You got down to one hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, I look sick. Holy! Like I'm shit. now. I was. I was about two two oh eight uh, two months ago, and I'm down to about one ninety seven now. Son of a so bitch! It, 
Yeah, I was thin. But I could run forever, oh, man. Fuck, I bet so. You probably blow a duck call forever, too, to get that thing off the lane and like just go to town on it. Yeah, I could do that, too. Hell, the wind would just blow me around. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I never... I've seen, you know, the CrossFit games and stuff like that. It always looks interesting, but, you know, I just... You got to make sure that you, when you start getting tired, like don't don't sacrifice your form, or you're really gonna fuck yourself up. What uh, you go for any of the major league teams? Yeah, uh, one of my best friends is the hitting coach for the okay. Astros, and so uh, he's actually in our in our duck club. And so it is dad's the head coach for the Braves. Ooh. So I pull, you know, I'm a I'm an Astros fan. You did the did the Braves did, lose last night? Yeah, Phillies win. Philly, so Phillies yeah. win. You know, major major yeah. league baseball is not wanting Arizona and Arizona in there. Texas or Houston, both at least is a big market. Both of those is a huge markets, but they do not want yeah. Arizona to beat Philadelphia because if Philadelphia wins, you're going to get the East Coast, and baseball needs to get that. They need something exciting to happen for them, and they damn sure do not want Arizona in the World Series. I don't think. Yeah, that that's that was a. A shocker, obviously. Um, I mean, LA would have been perfect. Uh, I was reading the other day; they've won like over 105 games past five years and can't get through the first um, set of playoffs. So, you know, that's something cool I do too. Actually, I, I had I had I have two bats that got brought to me yesterday. Um, you know, I turn a lot of professional ball players' bats into duck calls. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I take uh, that started about eight years ago, I guess. So I formed some really good relationships with uh, MLB, MLB guys too. Um, so that, that's been a fun venture. And they just bring you the bat that they used all year long and say, hey, make me a duck call out of this? <clears throat> or they'll send them, you know, they'll have a clubby. Mm -hmm. uh, send me, you know, they'll ask what they need, what I need. And so I always have them sign the handle way down, like actually where you would grip the bat. Because that part I don't use. I keep that part for myself so i have those like in my store and in my shop at home kind of displayed so that's where i get them to sign it and the rest of the bat is you know what what goes uh to them let me think of it because i did five for walker Buehler, one of the pitchers for the for the dodgers um not too long ago for groomsman's gifts how, so how many how many uh, can you get five out of one bat or how many can you get out of a bat oh, no. one no one and one nine. maybe two yeah. So they'll just send you a yeah. bunch of bats with signatures on it, and away you go. Yeah, yeah. So these are Corey Dickerson's. Um, so he played for the Cardinals. Uh, he played about 10 years in the majors. Um, he's doing a benefit uh, deal in November. And so I got two bats over there, and he signed a St. Louis hat for me. So like, I got some cool you know, World Series balls and stuff like that, um, MLB stuff that – my kids may or may not want one day, but I think it's pretty cool. So did you play shortstop in college? <laughs> I did. Ooh, yeah. Had a cannon on you. Uh, I mean, I can throw it across. The <laughs> I, there was a, there was a picture the other day. It was circle. It was on like Facebook or something. And remember back in the nineties when, uh, early season football, you play football in September. So I think San Francisco shared a stadium with the giants. Yeah. They both play yeah. a candlestick. Yeah. So like, Whenever you just see a baseball diamond, you know, it's not that, you know, you're like, okay, whatever. But like when you see it turn sideways, I think it's, I think it's 40 yards across. I'll have to pull up that picture. 
But, I mean, it's way more impressive whenever you see how far third to first is on a football field. It puts it into a different perspective. Yeah. It used to not look so far. If you if I stand at shortstop right now, there's no way I could throw a ball across that far. Let's see if I can find Imagine it. being a third baseman, yeah, third baseman, and catching one ten yard ten yards past the foul line and chunking somebody out at first base. Yeah, that's a long throw. Uh, I hate a kennel stick. I couldn't even hardly watch football at kennel. It just it doesn't go. It didn't go together, you know. The way that whole setup was. Yeah, and then like you know, you got to talk about you talk about how bad turf is. Like, could you imagine playing on dirt? Oh, it'd be awful. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. So third, third bit when when Candlestick had their had their and it, it might not be Candlestick, but I think it might be Oakland actually. Uh, yeah, it is. Oakland they Raiders. both play. Yeah, the yep. Alamitas. Uh, third base is on the thirty, and then first base is on the other thirty. So 10 40 yards. Yeah. 40 yards apart. And on a rope, you got to yes. throw it. Like, you know, football, yeah. you lob it 40 yards. You got to throw it on a freaking dime. <laughs> so so you're a big time baseball player, right? Or fan. You're a big baseball fan? Uh I mean, not not really. I I follow See, it I, a little bit. When I, when I was done, I was kind of done. Yeah. I, I don't watch a lot of baseball at all now. I mean, we watched an inning the other day and I think that's the whole inning I've watched for the whole year, but Andy was reading some stats on Bryce Harper, how young he was. He's a phenomenal player, and he's still he's still wow. a young man. Yeah, yeah. I've read some scouting reports when he was like 16, 17, that the scouts wrote, and they were, you know, him and Chipper Jones. Um, some of that stuff comes out every now and then, and what the scouts predicted is right. Yeah. Um, it's, but it's really cool to see him as a 17 year old player. What, what the scouts wrote about him back then on the, you know, on the observation sheet or whatever they call it. He, he went, he graduated his sophomore year. He went and he got a GED, like his sophomore year of high school, of high school. And then he went to play college for a year or whatever, just so that he could come out at like 17 or some shit. And then I think he made his first MLB start at 19. Yeah. He's, He's amazing, and then and then yeah. I guess somebody from the Braves kind of needled him the other day. Or I guess he made a boneheaded play one game, and uh, I the guess, shortstop for them, yeah, talk shit, talk some shit, and like Bryce Harper went off the next day, the next game. I think he hit like three home runs or something yeah. like what, that. How how old is the Chinese guy, or Japanese or Chinese or where he at? Shanjo Antina, whatever his name is, the kid that pitches and hits for California. I wonder how old he is. Yeah, I wonder how big he is. He is a stud. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. He he's yeah. the best player in he, baseball he's when he's he's hurt now. <clears throat> yeah. He he's worth fifty, sixty million dollars a year. Easy. Yeah. He, he was gonna and probably still will sign the largest contract ever. Um What's his name? Shanjo Antono or some shit. Well, who's he play for? The Angels. California. Angels. Used to be the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels. Those those a hundred miles an hour off the of, off the mound and and led the league in home runs until he got hurt. I think. Oh, I'm never gonna find this name. Sanjo Antonio. There's some shit. H. It's the last name's O N O H N. Otanya. How how do you say it? O H N O I N A. I can. How do you give me? How do you spell it? Fuck. O H N T O something or another. Sanjo. I'll never find. Just look up California Angels baseball player. I'll look him up. 
Okay. It doesn't matter. I don't think it's the California age. It's just, yeah, it, yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. I just was worried. I wondered how old he was. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Hey, listen, we've kept you over an hour now, and we all know time is money. You got to be turning those calls. It is. I know. I appreciate that fat check y'all are sending me. <laughs> we're, all, we're all about them fat checks. All about those fat checks. <laughs> listen, this, no, man, this has been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah. You absolutely. got a lot of cool stuff going on, and it's been fun to uh, kind of see everything <clears throat> take place over I'm gonna, on Instagram. I'm going to plug Ducks Unlimited real quick since we're doing a DU, the DU project here. Ducks Unlimited has, has announced now that the Ducks Festival will be – not this year. It will be in 2025. August of... Tw- no, is this 2023 right now? 24, 20, 25. August of 2025. I think it's the first weekend in August. We'll be at Memphis. I think at the convention center. It will all be indoors. And that's will be the D- festival. So we'll have all them things right there together. But the DU, the Ducks, is going to be the first weekend in August, 2025 in Memphis, Tennessee. And you are sure you got cool. that from the higher ups that you can say that. Yes, I just text. He just texted me too. I just asked him. Okay, just want to make sure you weren't speaking, yep. speaking out <laughs> yeah. of school, no, dropping, I, dropping bombs or anything. I talked to my contact at DU that has the authority to let me know. Yeah. All right, just making sure you're not. You know, it, it used to be that way. In Memphis, um, back in the day, used to have. Yeah, it was awesome. I remember it as at a kid. Shelby Farms. They had, they have, yeah, they have skeet shooting. They had dog stuff going on call makers everywhere they had three contests i think the u.s open the tennessee state maybe another regional um it was a big deal it was a big deal so i hope it gets back to that um when did you get into uh, into uh competition shooting handguns uh about eight months ago (laughs) you get a lot of hobbies but i've won a few you have i've won a few yeah Man, when I go into something, I'm like all in. So I would go to, I'd fall asleep watching YouTube instructional videos. And then I would take that information to the range the next mm-hmm. day and um, try to translate it into the physical. And uh, yeah, I've just been very fortunate to to do pretty well. I know Hollywood, so Hollywood far. can make you look cool, but like Keanu Reeves for John Wick, like he took it seriously. <laughs> Yeah, John Wick's always the the word. Some of his training Um, videos, I mean, like he he took it seriously. He didn't just rely on you know what Hollywood magic. Yeah, that gun he shoots is about eight grand right (laughs) now. Jesus. Yeah, you know you pay that for a handgun. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's a whole other world, man. Something new for me, and I'm always looking for something that's competitive and new, and uh, it, it fits the bill, and it's five minutes down the road. That's the main thing. And my kids love to go do right. it too. My six-year-old loves it. Make them a badass. I mean, it's a it's a scary world that we're bringing hey, these kids up into. So turn them into badasses. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. All right, my man. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Good luck to you. If there's anything that we can ever do for you in the future, let us know. I hope all this. Uh, I hope hope the pappy thing goes well. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Thanks Josh. Have, have a great, great day. day. God bless you, my friend. Hopefully, we'll see you at a hunting right, show man. here down the line. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. See you guys. Shohei Otano. I'd have never gotten that. Uh, it's spelled just like I told you, O-H-T-A-N-I. That's exactly how you said it. <laughs> 29 years old and probably will get a the biggest contract in professional sports. He's 29? Yes. But he's got to have surgery on something because he can't throw. He can't pitch next year. But he is. He's probably 
if he wouldn't have got hurt, I think someone probably would have given him a, a sixty to seventy-five million dollar a year deal because he's a full-time player. He plays deep base, offense every day, and then he's a Cy Young, a Cy Young candidate pitcher every five days. That's I, I don't pay near enough attention to imagine, baseball. Imagine but, being no, no, a no, top five what, pitcher. But what's crazy is is like here you're throwing out a name that I've never even heard of. Like that shows you how little I pay attention to baseball. But what? So when you were comparing him to Bryce Harper, like Bryce Harper was a man like in his early twenties, right? Yeah, this guy's been this guy's played a long time though. This Has is, he always been a stud? Yeah, he's he's been playing baseball for in the pros in in, in America for. Let me try to find his statistics. Because Bryce Harper's thirty. Yep. He is the was the rookie of the year in eighteen. He played in Japan and then came oh, over here. Okay, he didn't you. come over here till he till he shined. He was American League Rookie of the Year in eighteen. He's the Silver Slugger Award in twenty one, Home Run Leader in twenty three, Triples Leader in twenty one, Hit for Cycle, and then he's pitching. Is his pitching statistics are uh, thirty eight nineteen and earned run average of three, with six hundred strikeouts. And then he's also hit 171 home runs and 437 RBIs. When he gets done playing baseball, if he if he stays basically if he's healthy for a while and he plays another six years, he will end up hitting probably 400 home runs and probably win 100 games as a pitcher. Wow, that's that. We've never had anybody like that in baseball. Babe Ruth. Yeah, well, he didn't pitch. Yeah, he did. He did. Babe Ruth was a pitcher too. I yeah. thought he was third baseman. No, he was a pitcher and a right fielder. I think. I don't. I don't know what position he played for sure, but I know he did pitch. But yeah, he pitched for the Yankees and the Red Sox. He was a good pitcher. I'll be damned. But you know, guys back then were tougher. Never not. Oh yeah. Um, Jim Kern was telling me that. Um, I got to pee. Hang on. Okay. Weak bladder. Coffee and water. Anyways, Jim Kern was telling me about Bob Gibson. I believe was the guy's name. He pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And so Jim was telling me how he pitched and he never went out hardly. And so I looked up his statistics. Fuck, he pitched. He started 40 games a year, and he pitched eight to nine innings every game. Sometimes he'd pitch 10, 11, 12 innings. Babe Ruth had <clears throat> ERA of 2.28. Pretty damn good. And 488 strikeouts. And, and and that was the dead of ball area. He was the only one hitting home runs. Is That's not his. <clears throat> surely to God, that's not his win-loss record as a pitcher. Probably was, yeah. 94, 94 and 46. 46. Almost won 100 games. Wow. Hits 2,800, 714 home runs. Now, this kid's only going to hit 400 home runs because he didn't play his whole career there. Okay, now when you say dead ball area, era, like that, nobody was hitting home runs other than the they, babe? They didn't score home. They didn't score. The, the baseball was a low scoring game. There's like three to two games, four to three games. It wasn't so, like today where you got 11 to nine and 15 to six. and So 714 home runs is impressive. Well, yeah, it's impressive in today's standards. But now, I don't think the baseball fields were as big probably back then. And they may be. I know that where he played at with the well, – Fenway. I think – no. he Well, he played there too, but he played at New York. And I think they played the polo ground. I think it was called the polo grounds. And I think it was like, like hitting it out of Yellowstone to get it out of dead center. It was a long – it was a big park. Because Bryce Harper has 306 home runs. Well, but he's not always just a big home run hitter. But, the, I mean, that's still impressive for a guy that's 30 years old. He's going to hit 500 to 600 home runs. I mean, look at Mark McGuire. Look at Barry Bonds. I think Barry Bonds hit 800 home runs. Yeah, you got Benatrix next to him. 
You know what's? But here's the thing: Barry Bonds is not in because he was on steroids. I think he should be in. Babe, I do too. And Babe Ruth was on methamphetamines and all kinds of shit. Hey, probably. you don't fucking know that. I think pretty. I think it was pretty well known. Those guys were pretty much meth. Well, yeah, some kind of speed. Wow, these are heavy accusations against the greatest well, baseball player ever. Probably pretty true. He drank, partied all the time. I'm, I'm sure they were on some kind of stuff. You could probably look it up and probably find out. Ruth went 24 and 13 with a two, two uh, ERA at two and six shutouts in 1917. And then they traded him for My Fair Lady. I think that's the, the play they traded him for. This says Babe Ruth administered to himself an injection of an extract from sheep testicles. <laughs> it's called sperm. I don't know if I believe that. I, d- I don't either. And I don't care. And I don't care that. Also, re- eating Rocky Mountain oysters was a popular trick back in the day. Well, so he had a heart on all the time, too. I don't care that Barry Bonds took steroids. Still had to hit the I, ball. I, I don't care. You did. He had to take a round bat or a cylinder bat. And hit a round ball, and that's that's it's impressive to do, anyways. But I don't think that it was just a different game, and people were back, different back then, right? But first of all, back when Babe Ruth was playing, they couldn't do testing for shit; they didn't even have the ability to do it, right? I don't know. Um, I just recently read that the UFC is ditching their uh, drug testing policies, and I don't know why. It has to do something with Conor McGregor. The UFC is. Yeah, they have a they have a governing body called USADA, and they're the ones that uh, test all of their fighters. And I just saw yesterday. I haven't got to read it. I, I just saw a headline that they are ditching uh, USADA. Do Do you care if some guy that's fighting is like a cyborg? I don't. Well, here's the deal. And so I read. So there's a guy named Gordon Ryan, and he is the best jujitsu practitioner ever. I mean, the guy's built like a brick shit house, and he's really, really good. And he had an interesting take on it. He said, um, you're going to make... So basically, if you have the money to get around the testing, like Conor McGregor obviously does, like Conor's not going to get popped. Like he's got the best team. They know how long that shit's, you know, when to go on, when to come off, how to finagle the testing. So guys that have money that can cheat the system... They're going to be at an advantage over somebody who is poor coming up and doesn't have the resources. So it's really only going going to affect the guys that are coming up. It's not going to affect guys that are already established because they can get they they know they have a good enough team around them. Plus, um, if you have a stronger athlete, it's only going to make recovery faster and you're going to lengthen their career. I can understand the recovery faster and the lengthening career deal, but if you get on steroids and you weigh 160 pounds, you're going to be weighing 180. Right. And if you get up to 180, you're fighting in a different class. Yes. So is it a benefit? Is it benefit you to do that? Kind of depends on... Uh, you see where I'm coming from? It kind of depends on your philosophy of it all. That's a mean. That's a big old man right there. Yes. I'm, how old is he? Uh, I don't know how old he is. Sure. Like, he's a... Here it is. Uh, UFC to end USADA anti-doping program as Conor McGregor re-enters. So I guess somehow they really put the hosing to Conor McGregor and I, Conor, so Conor shattered his leg and 
I think that they were doing everything possible to make sure that he could fight again. I understand why they want him to fight again because he's a big draw. Because people like me want to watch him get his ass beat. Well, that's he don't ever get his ass beat. But that's what I want to see. So I hope he comes back and fights long enough that he gets his ass beat a couple of times. Because I think he's a dickhead. Wow. But he's very, very, very good at what he does. There is no doubt about it. One of the greatest ever. And he's a big draw for them because people like me that don't really care about that would watch it just to see him. Just like the Luke Paul. Is it Luke Paul, that guy? Jake Paul. Jake Paul. I want to watch him fight until he gets his ass beat. Don't you? He got fucking clocked yesterday I was a, was with, with that microphone. Yeah, I knew that. And that he's talking about calling the fight off now. He threw the microphone at the guy. And then the guy picked it up. And he the guy it. caught it and threw it right back at him and caught him right above the eyebrow. Oh, good for that guy. I'd like to see that then. So, I mean, you're going to call the fight off for giving the guy a weapon? Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, that's like throwing like, a gun at somebody and then getting shot with it. That's like giving a guy a hammer and him hitting your head with it, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, fuck, dude. What were you expecting? So, but don't you want to see Jake Paul get his ass whooped? Hang on. I'll pull up the video. Uh, I want to see Jake Paul fight somebody that's in their prime, like he's in his prime. Let me see if this video. Uh, Or no, it's Logan Paul. I'm sorry. I get the brother's names mixed up. <clears throat> Just give me the clip. The second one down has got it. Or the top one, I guess, does. Yeah. Let's see. Is that Joe Rogan in the middle of them? No, no. I wouldn't want to fuck with Joe Rogan either. I bet he's a scrapper. Yeah, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Why is nothing working? Every right there on the, the, the top one on the bottom. No, it's not letting me click is what I'm oh. telling you. There was a really good angle. Is Dana White in the middle of that? <laughs> My first word, a fur coat. So he threw it at him right there. Boom. <laughs> split him open. Split split Logan Paul open. Good for him, then. We a dick? Oh, he took his microphone and threw it at him. He didn't catch the microphone. Oh, well, it's pretty... Uh, Logan Paul asked for that shit, being a dickhead. I mean, he tried to hit him in the nuts with it. Boom. That guy just did oh. a better job. Yeah, he's a better thrower. Bunch of fucking testosterone freaks right there fighting. Somebody said, take Logan Paul's, uh, get a sample of his blood and test him for doping. Anyway, here's what Gordon Ryan said. The higher the testosterone, the more physical the athletes are, the less prone to injury they are, the faster they recover, the longer they can compete, and the more entertaining and high-paced they are. The better they look, the more attention they draw, the more money they make. Uh, in addition... Uh, people think that just because athletes are tested by USADA and WADA, never heard of them, that they are natural with the amount of money, pride, legacies on the line. Uh, beating drug tests has become a multi-billion dollar industry. This means that athletes who have money or are part of big teams with the resources needed are able to actually beat the test. So That's funny, that testosterone, all that more they have in them. I was, the book I was reading on the plane was about... Uh, these people that have made this superior, not not race, this this genetic. They go they they go to the Amazon and they get these pure people that are still basically have never had anything other than their own inbreeding their whole life. Right, and they genetically dope them and they fill them with testosterone and stuff, and it makes them really really fast, really really quick. Which there's a difference between fast and quick. And I'm quick. And they teach people or or not to. They also have a very high pain tolerance. Right. And they require very little 
water and food to go. And it was it was pretty interesting, but it's kind of on that deal. The basis of it is is if you get them and you dope them up with a bunch of testosterone, even though it's natural type stuff, you can add to their genetics to bulk them up. This guy was a part of like a Cuban type of experiment. Well, Yo- he looks at Yoel Romero. Yeah, this book talked about him, I guess. I mean, if you read some of the stuff, like he got, I think he got his, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about it. He, he got his orbital bone shattered or something. And anyway, like he went to some specialist and the specialist called the UFC and was like, where the fuck did you get this specimen from? Like he's healing already. No, oh, that's the same type deal. I mean, it's our, the dark government has been doing experiments since fucking back in the days of the Kings and, you know, the King of England, they did shit to people in them on the dungeons and shit. So who knows? And they didn't do shit like this, but it's been just an ongoing process. Let me see. And the guy also probably grew up really poor in Cuba where he was eating rice and beans every day. Oh, yeah. Like, guaranteed you didn't have anything. But anyway, I don't have time to re- read it right now. We got shit to do. Yep. All right. God bless y'all. Y'all have a great week. Thank y'all for listening to it. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, go check out our Patreon account. Check out the First Family of Waterfowl on YouTube. And thank you for all the downloads and everything you've done for us. God bless y'all. Um, have a great Halloween. Bye. Go check out all of our sponsors. Listen, that War Chief shot it all week. It is wonderfully vicious. Uh, so go get the War Chief right now. Boss Shot Shells. MLR Graphics, Pacific Calls, Dive Bomb Industries, Dirty Duck Coffee, Shin Gear, Looking Glass Podcast, Lucky Duck, Ducks Unlimited, Double T British Kennels, Mossberg, Stanfield Outfitters, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, and Hemp Hill Farms. Get rid of those ouchies. <laughs>